Father, once again we come to you, Lord. We come to the ministry of your word. You have exalted, you have magnified your word above all your name. And this morning, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our ears, in our hearts, help us to magnify your word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not a dot from your word. Help us to keep our eyes on your word. Help us to magnify your word. Give us ears that hear. The voice of the Spirit. Applying the word in our lives. Because you said in Psalm 107 and verse 20, I sent forth my word and healed you of your infirmities. We sit before you today, not as people who are whole, but as people who are infirm. And I pray, Father, your word will go forth and heal us. Heal us of our infirmities. Strengthen us. Empower us. And send us forth as people of the word. As a people who live by the word. As people who hunger after your word. For your word is truth. Speak, Father, today to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We have come to the 12th month, 2nd December. 11 months are over. And if you remember, all those who were there 12 months, 11 months ago, December 31st, when we began, we began with Psalm 27, verse 4, the promise for the year. One thing I have desired that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That was the promise, meaning God would change the desire of our heart through. And I didn't realize when I was uh, picked that and through the ear, do you remember? The word has been basically trying to get our focus on God and on his kingdom through the ear. The messages were practically to get us back that we don't lose our focus. And if you have lost your focus somewhere around the way, this 11 months, this 12th month, ask God, his spirit, to give us the grace to be focused, to bring it back to the king and to the kingdom. Everything depends on that. Remember, for God's children, everything depends on your focus. If God wants the kingdom to work for you, then we need to work for the kingdom. When God, we know, I'm just recapping a little, when God was entrusting the new generation into Joshua's hands to lead them into the promised land, what he told them was, only be strong and very courageous. We looked at that, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. He said, don't turn to the right and to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And in eighth, how does this happen? The focus was this. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. How does it not depart from my mouth? Or when I open my mouth and when I speak, that it is according to the word of God. That my ideas, my thoughts, my imagination 
everything is structured by the word of God is by meditating upon it day and night. If you meditate upon it day and night, you know, you see, if you chew your food, the food comes as different things in different dishes. And you eat it, and by some chance you are sick and you bring it out. It doesn't look at all the way it went in, but it is still the same thing. It is still the same thing. God is not talking about speaking scripture out, which is very powerful, very good. But he is saying when you speak, speak according to scripture. Your thought, the way you think has to change. You can spout scripture without your thinking changing. Thinking changing. Because sometimes when people throw up, they throw up exactly the way it, they ate. It means nothing digested. Nothing digested. God is not talking about that. God is talking about our thinking changing so that we start, we are focused. Let it not meditate upon it day and night. Let your thinking be accordingly. When you speak, you speak accordingly. And then when you do, when you do, you do accordingly. Then he says, that's the secret of success given to us in a physical format, in a physical kingdom for us in the light of eternity. A little later, Joshua will now come. This God speaks to Joshua. Joshua will speak to the people in Joshua chapter 3. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now they have been given a focus. You're going to start your progress into the promised land. The leader has been given the word. Now the Leader has to give direction to a huge set of people who may not have the word. So they're given an object. The object is the Ark of the Covenant. The priests are bearing it. Keep your eyes on the Ark, which represents God. So God is saying, keep your focus on God's word and on his presence. No, sometimes you have the word, but when you're going somewhere, suddenly you realize his presence is not there. Presence is not there. Backtrack. Backtrack. They say in English, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Okay. Backtrack. He says, watch out. That's your key. The presence of God. That not only will give you victory, it will also give you rest. When Moses asked God, show me thy ways, God was so pleased with him. He said, my presence shall go with you and you shall have rest. And his response is, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not take us from this place. I would prefer to stay in the wilderness with rest than into a prosperous nation, restless. You see how thinking has changed of a man. And another generation also God is saying, Change the way you think. Think the way God thinks the kingdom operates. Because often we do not realize when we have trouble, everybody will have troubles in their life. You, you may be going through a physical sickness, a problem in your home, if you're a student in your, co- in your life, in your college, in your school, whatever kind of office. Whenever you have problems, it's a test of your faith. How are you responding to that? Often people say, we do not know what to do. But the truth is not that. 
The truth is this. It is not that we do not know what to do, but rather we do not do what we know. We do not do what we know. You are theologians. I'm telling you, saw the pastors. All Some of them are very senior pastors. Big, big churches. And when I was teaching them, practically everything that I taught them for two days was new for them. You know, when you go to missions, it's interesting, okay? When you go to missions and when you are preaching to pastors and elders, okay? I'll show you. It's interesting because you read body language. When you start five minutes later, people are sitting like this. Okay? Some people are... Because they know they have to change. And they have been too long in the rut and they don't like to change. A few of them will... Most of them are sitting like this. And a couple of very older ones. It's a sermon in itself looking at the audience. So I look at you too. I look at your faces. Sometimes I see this little child will be smiling when the subject is so serious. And she'll be so serious when a joke is being cracked. So you realize conversation is non-verbal too. Okay. So sometimes we need to assimilate the word so that when we react to situations, we are reacting according to the word. It's not that we don't know what to do. We don't do what we know. So many dear ones around have seen the world has come in. Because the world has come in, they walk into churches and they walk out just the way they came. Because the word of God has become ineffective in their life. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 about one entire generation who saw the provision and the protection of supernatural provision and protection of God for 40 years. This is what God said to them in Hebrews 4 and verse 2. The gospel was preached to them, 2, 2, 2. Preached to them, us as well as them. But the word they heard did not profit at all. It was of no profit. You can hear the word from morning till evening. It is going to make no difference in our life unless it is mixed with faith. We receive it by faith and we obey it by faith. It starts working with us. Otherwise, we'll be only sanctified rebels. Outwardly sanctified like them. You look at the children of Israel. There was none feeble among them. There was none sick among them. They're all marching without getting tired. All were drying up inside. Absolutely dried inside. And they couldn't face one battle. Crumbled. Under situation. They didn't even crumble in battle. They just crumbled at the report of a battle. All they had was they are giants. They said they are packing and going back. They didn't see one giant. They packed up to go back to Egypt at the report of a giant. So understand that. Get your focus back. Keep your focus on God. 11 months if you have strayed. Get back to God. We looked at Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
no eternal. Everything, look, like I said, there are no temporary decisions. Every decision a person makes is an eternal decision. I get excited when the babies come in, all the babies come in, I get excited. I get also troubled because I'm looking at the world in which they are entering. Can you imagine what the world is going to be like? I will tell you, I will prophesy, not with the spirit of God, with my understanding of the world and the word. By the time these children come to school, Harry Potter will be a subject. Witchcraft will be taught in schools. It's already in universities in India. It is a course already. Witchcraft will be the norm, like in the West. And our children will not be able to escape it. Unless parents are on their toes and keeping their eyes on the unseen and preparing them to fight the battle like Joseph and Daniel, our children won't survive. will not survive. So don't get excited just by the sight of a baby. Get into battle mode. Have no clue what the world is changing into. It's changed already. Because we got blinkers, we are not able to see what it has actually become. So the thing is this. Here, keep your eyes on the eternal, not on the temporary. On the temporary. See, better than any one of you, I know what kids go through when they read, because my PhD, sub, the topic I picked to my research was on children's literature. So I read all these, let me use that word, idiots, before you could write one paper. All the story books which you read today, 21st century, 20th century books, except for the old ones, are all anti-God. The ones who write. And our children are fed a diet of story books where the ideology is actually put across very subtly, very beautifully with illustrations which turn them into rebels. And let me tell you about programming, where they program children and adults in the lodges. When children are programmed, they use Alice in the Wonderland to program them. I'm not mentioning the other books. The books, they use children's literature to program children, and they use adult literature to program adults. And the Bible is used for anti-programming so that they, they start what, uh, if you use Words from the Bible, they react. They freak out. The whole world is going bonkers. And the church has to be very, very careful. Very, very careful. And you also have to look into your own hearts. When I hear the word, how am I reacting to the word? It's a sign of how your thinking is. How am I reacting? Because that's what is going around the world. This software programming came after the other programming was there. That's why the name is used. It's programming. Our minds are being programmed. But the kingdom of people who are successful are those who have allowed their mind to be programmed by the word of God. Because these are all thinking. How do you think? And the only thing the enemy hates and fears is the focused Christian. He has no issues with double-minded Christians. He knows they can be compromised. Take a look in your mind's eye on Mount Carmel. Hundreds and hundreds of false prophets of Baal and Ashurath. Thousands and thousands of people of Israel. The enemy is not bothered about any one of them. He is only worried about Elijah, one man. Scared only of him. 
Because that's a man who is absolutely focused on God, his kingdom, and his purposes. The enemy is not worried about double-minded Christians at all. He knows they can do nothing. They can be compromised. But when you get focused, remember, you become a weapon in the hands of God. Even if you're a child like Samuel, or you become an incredible threat to the kingdom of the enemy. You look at the life of Jesus from the beginning, you three, the narratives, you will never see him off focus. The One of the first words out of his mouth, or maybe the first words recorded. Did I give you Hebrews 10, 5 and 7? No, no, leave it alone. You know, when he came into the world, he said in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come to do thy will. We know that. But that's not there in the Gospels. The first recorded words of Jesus is this. He said, why do you seek me? Did you not know that? I must be about my father's business. The first words of a 12-year-old child is, I am about my father's business. I'm not going to lose focus. I'm not going to lose my focus. I have a father in heaven. He's my God. He's my father. And he has a business. And I'm on my father's business. First words spoken by Jesus. And then when he steps out into the world, into his ministry in Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Focus was on his father's kingdom. When he comes, he dies after three and a half years. He rises up. He's with his disciples for 40 days and then he goes. But scripture records in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is the question I ask pastors. If this is Jesus' ministry, every time he opens his mouth and speaks to us, he speaks only issues pertaining to the kingdom of God. How can you and I as servants of God speak anything else? What kind of foolishness it is that we come behind the pulpit, take the word of God and speak about the world and how to prosper in the world and all the things about the world. When our Lord and our master, even after rising up for 40 days, he only spoke to them pertaining about the things of the kingdom of God. It is to bring the focus of the people to this eternal fact. The kingdom of God is eternal. This earth is temporary. And it is not my business to put your eyes on the temporary. It is my father's business to take your eyes to the eternal. That's focus. Father's business. It is Jesus calls it my father's business. In Matthew 25, 16, when he talks about the talents, scripture says, he who had received the five talents went and traded. He traded. It's a business. My father has given me time, he has given me life, he has given me strength, he has given me a gift, and I'm going to trade it. And when he comes, and when I stand before him, you and I will say, Dad, you gave me this, here, take, I traded. I was at my father's business. I was at my father's business. Lord, you sent me to Good Shepherd for 10 years, I studied it for 10 years, here, Lord, I brought 10 into thy kingdom. I shared the gospel too, I was not ashamed of my father. I studied, I worked hard. I'm not talking about my subjects or my mass. I'm talking about all my friends who heard the gospel through me. I traded, Lord, with what you gave me. It's a business. He's using business terms. 
See, we pray every day, our Father who art in heaven. But question is, are we at our Father's business? So many terminologies Jesus uses to connect that kingdom to us and make it the integral part of us and us a part of that kingdom to keep our focus on Jesus and his kingdom. Well, all the other issues of life are there. They are on the sidelines. The focus is on God and his kingdom. And everyone who has succeeded in this world in terms of God's kingdom, you will see they had that discipline of being focused. And they had the wisdom that was concerning the kingdom of God. And they had that attitude. They're willing to sacrifice everything here for there. They were willing to consider this as loss and that as gain. And he says, if you see this as gain, you will see eternity as a loss. You will, he says. So today, once again, at the end of the year, the 12th month, we have to bring our focus, focus back. In Matthew 6, 24, I said this, this is the rule of one. No one can serve two masters. It's impossible. It's called the rule of one. Theologians call it the rule of one. We have to choose whom we will serve. God or mammon. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Mammon means gain. Actually means gain, profit. Are you going to serve God, which would mean loss here and gain there? Or are you going to serve mammon, which is immediate gain? Perceptible gain. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve mammon? It's a simple question God asks. And he says and makes a statement. It is impossible to serve both. God says, pick a leader. Whom will you serve? You need to have a Joshua moment in your life. Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. He says, this is what I can do. I can walk with God. I can have his guidance. I can have his leading. I can tell you how to fight. The ark will go ahead of you. We can fight. We can win every battle. God is so zealous for us. Even he will stop the sun and the moon for us until we have won our victory. And now we have possessed the land. You have to decide whom you will serve. Now now you got your marks. You have to decide whom you will serve. Now that you got your job, you have to decide whom you will serve. Now that you waited so long and got married, you have to decide whom you will serve. It's your Joshua moment. He says, I cannot choose for you. I can choose for myself as for me and my household. We shall serve the Lord. That's the same Elijah. When the country has gone so far away after mammon that Elijah has to stand there alone and ask the people, choose this day whom you will serve. God or bad. Now the problem in the 21st century Christianity is God has been merged into Baal. We have made the living God to look like Baal. And everybody is happy with that God. But God says, I am not that. You cannot. And the final day's warning, the final warning from Jesus' own lips to the church is, either be hot or be cold. Choose This day, what you will be. Choose this day, what you will be. Pick a leader. Whom you will. And if you're going to trust God, if you're going to serve God, you have to trust Him. People find it 
easier to serve mammon without saying it is because mammon gives you a feeling of security. Dunia mere jeb mein. How does the dunya get into your jeb? In this. Jeb. It gives you a feeling of security. The more you have money, the more secure you feel. When you're walking with God, it's a question of trust. Because if I trust money, even if I serve God, I will serve God for money. But if I trust God, money will serve me and his kingdom. And these are kingdom principles. I'm just recapping 11 months of teaching. Because the kingdom of God is an inversion of everything this world is built on. You step outside the doors of the church, everything in the world is built exactly opposite to the way the world operates. So there is constant tension for the believers. Constant tension. That's why in the ancient days, in the Middle Ages, those who wanted to follow Christ... They could not handle that tension and they chose a way out. They all retreated into the monasteries. Took a vow of poverty and a vow of loneliness and cut away themselves from the world. But that doesn't work. God said, I have sent you into the world. You cannot escape that tension. How to be earthly minded and yet be a heavenly minded and yet be sensitive to earthly needs. The choice is, are you living for now? Or are you living for eternity? Are you living by faith? Or are you living by sight? In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, God says, You have to walk. For we walk by faith and not by sight. You can choose how you walk. And how do you know how you are walking? You are not looking in a mirror how you are walking. That is when you are children, teach them how to walk. Like my father made me walk. He says, walk straight. Put your feet straight. Don't let your knees knock. Walk straight. Walk straight. That do with your children. But when you're walking, look in the mirror of God's word. How are you making your choices? How are you reacting to circumstances? How are you reacting to challenges? You will know whether you're walking by faith or walking by sight. Because for most of us, the issue is when we face challenges, we see solution in money. If I had more money, I could handle this problem. And God says you're walking by sight. Like the man, I don't know who it was, he said, earn all you can, then can all you earned, then sit on the can. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Like I told, even when parents, Christian parents choose what you call careers for their children, options for their children. Very rarely do they ask God, this is what you, this is what you want your child to be. We always see in careers where there is profit. Be careful. We are living in a time when there is no much space to make error. Not, there is, we are running out of time. It's a mindset. That comes from meditating upon the word of God. Where our mind works according to the word. Yesterday for the men's we were saying after 11 chapters of doctrinal texts. 
from Romans 1 where he's talking about the whole world to chapter 11 where he talks about a remnant of Israel being saved. By the time he comes to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, such familiar verses for us, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he comes and he talks about the mind. He says, your mind needs to be transformed. Your thinking needs to be changed. The old pattern of thinking, you cannot enter into eternity and expect anything. Your thinking has to change. David would say it this way in Psalm 19 and verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold. It's than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. He's talking about the word of God. He desired the word of God more than gold. And he said it is sweeter than even the honeycomb. Job would say in the book of Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That man went through something which most human beings won't go through. Why did he come out seven times better at the end? It's because he treasured the word of God more than his food. Jeremiah would say it this way. In Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. You look at it, you have to go into that and says, you see, we all have been called by his name. When you got baptized, you got his name. If I have got his name, then your word has to become my joy and my rejoicing. Because his name is Jesus Christ and his name is word of God. And this is how Jesus would say in John 6 and verse 63, the words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. Do we see the word of God as life? Let me explain to you. Like I said, we are recapping 11 months. Let me explain to you from daily things which we as Christians, as believers do. One is daily devotions. All those who are on WhatsApp, the church groups, you get a daily devotion in the morning from the underground church and you will get a daily devotion sometimes from Spurgeon. Evening, morning and evening. Daily devotions. But the question is this. Why do so many people who do their daily devotions get so little out of their devotions? I've met people who have for 50 years never missed a day of their daily devotions, yet they think exactly like the world. Why? Because in English there is a difference. Devotions is the time spent with God. But a man or a woman is devoted, his or her life is given over to God. You can have your devotions with God without ever being devoted to God. When my life is not devoted to God, I am going to get very little out of my devotions. Because one is measured in terms of time and the other is measured in terms of life. Paul doesn't say at the end of his life, he doesn't say, I gave this much time to God. He says, I poured my entire life to God. He was a man who was devoted to God and who was not a man who did his devotions. 
That's how you look at. Amen, man. Those who are devoted to God, even if by some exigencies they miss their devotions, it doesn't affect them. Those who are devoted to their devotions, one day they miss the devotions, they are so upset. Oh, I didn't do my daily devotion. You know why? Because they are not devoted to God. They are devoted to their devotions. One will have the attitude of duty. The other will see in terms of sacrifice. In scripture it says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Let me explain to you from the Old Testament pattern and the New Testament revelation which we get from Jesus. So that you understand this difference and say, am I a person who is devoted to my devotions or am I devoted to God? Matthew 12 verses 3 and 4. This is from Jesus. He said to them, have you not read what Jesus David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat. Nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. You know the context. Right? Let's look at the context. First Samuel. David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread. There was no bread there but showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken out. So you know, this is in the holy place. In the holy place, there is a table where the showbread is kept, which represents the word of God, Jesus Christ himself. And... The bread is replaced. Evening when the new bread is kept, hot bread is kept over there, the old bread is taken out and only the priests, the Levites are allowed to eat that. Nobody else is allowed to eat that. Jesus is suddenly saying, did you know that David ate it? And his men ate it. He gave it to his men too. Nothing happened to them. They were not Levites. They were not priests. The Pharisees had no reply. They know such a fact happened and they knew scripture doesn't explain it unless God gives you a revelation. What is this? Because this was all question about on Sabbath his, his disciples were eating some corn. They said, how can you eat that? It's Sabbath. He said, wait a second. See, this is how you understand scripture. Scripture is, scripture is life. It's the life of God. Lived through different, different people. Spirit of Christ lived through Abel. So the spirit of life by faith offered blood. Spirit of God walked with Enoch and walked with God. The Spirit of God through Noah built. So we look through the Spirit of God through the lives of all these people, see at the acts of faith, and we ask God, teach me, teach me. I want that life to be my life. That part of David's life should be part of my life because that part of David's life was lived in faith and it was your life. It has to be my life because there is no separation between you and me because you are the head and I am the body. Listen to what God says in Leviticus 24 when he gives the law. You shall take fine flour, bake 12 cakes with it, two-tenths of an ifa shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him for the offerings of the Lord made by fire, a perpetual statute. So this was the bread that was given. It was only meant for the Levites and nobody else. 
And Jesus said, it was unlawful law, unlawful for David to eat it. Yet, he ate it. And he was never condemned. Why? Look at the clause in the law. There is a clause and sub-clause in the law. You'll find it in Leviticus 22. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But, but, if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. There is a sub-clause. You may have so many people in your house, they cannot eat it. But two people can eat it. If I am a priest and I bought Samir, or Samir was born in my household, that person is allowed to eat. Jesus was teaching the truth. He was expounding the truth of the law. In John 5 and verse 39, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are that which testify of me. He says, When you read scripture, if you are not looking for Jesus, you will not find life. So don't read the accounts of Abel. Read the account of Jesus in Abel. Read the account of Jesus in Enoch. Read the account of Jesus in Abraham. It will become life for you. Now you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. And 1 Corinthians 7. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Did you see it all falling into place? David and his men were a picture of the new covenant church. David never saw himself separate from Christ. I am bought by Christ. If I am bought by Melchizedek, I have the right to eat the showbread. I was bought at a price. He did not see his life in terms of devotions. He was a man who was devoted to God. Therefore, the showbread became life for him. The word of God became life for him. That's what God is talking about. They saw themselves, he saw himself as a man who is sold over to God. I am God's free man. I am God's slave. So you have two sets of people here. Here is the Levites, every day, taking the showbread, putting new hot one, and eating the old one. It's a duty for them. And here is a man from the tribe of Judah, takes that shoebread, eats, gets strength and goes for the next battle. One, it has become life. The other, it is a duty. Why? Because he is not doing his devotions. He is devoted to the word of God. And therefore the word becomes life for him. That's what Jesus said. My word is spirit and life. We are not doing devotions. Honestly, I am telling you, a point has come in the mind. I don't need my Bible to... Do my devotions. Because all my thoughts are controlled by the word of God. I can sit anywhere. Thoughts don't change. It is this. It's devoted to this book. Devoted to this book. And you have to come to that point at some time in your life. You say, Lord, I surrender. This is life for me. I'm shutting out every other voice. 
And I'm not going to receive any voice into my life which contradicts this. And I'm willing to live or die by this. This is my life. I will go by it. That's the turning you will take in your life. That day you have chosen God. Till then we are playing religion. That day. And this is not an emotional thing. This is an act of your will. It's an act of your will. That is what Jesus is talking about. So the question here is, am I devoted to Christ? Or am I just doing my devotions? Just doing my devotions. Little. That's why a little boy called Samuel, whose mother, when he was even before formed in her womb, devoted him to the Lord. And when he has finished weaning, by faith she took that little boy and devoted him to the Lord at Shiloh. And the Lord spoke to him. Because God can speak to devoted people. He may struggle to speak to people who do their devotions, but he can speak to people who are devoted. So a five-year-old could hear, an eight-year-old man could hear from the burning bush. Because he too, 40 years later, had still not lost the dream. And God spoke to him. Your dream is alive because I see. I see you. And you are the man chosen. Nothing has changed. Look, in these last days, God needs many, many servants, young and old. But the first act is be devoted. When Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech thee, brethren, offer yourself as a living sacrifice daily. It is both action and it is attitude. There are kingdom attitudes. Like I said, am I doing devotions? Without being devoted to the king and the kingdom? Is the word of God living bread for me? Bread for me? I was telling Pastor Vijay, Pastor Vijay, I said no. Everything that we have heard here over and over, you have to see the pastors receive it. These are young pastors, old pastors. Finally, you know, you feel like a superstar over there. Everybody wants selfies. Everybody hugs. Everybody cries. Everybody says, you brought the word. It has changed our life. Our life will never be the same again. Now I have, they expected 60 pastors, 117 turned up. And now they have given all their words of numbers because they want all the old messages. Everything. Hunger for the word. Everywhere. Everywhere. They are hungry. Because persecution has come and they realize you cannot stand on your own strength. Only the word of God will give us strength. And God is asking us, do you have to wait for that? That's why Jesus said the gate is straight. And the road is very narrow. How many people have you found in the pages of this Bible who remain devoted till the end. How many? Handful in this book, which spans the history of almost 4,000 years. How many do you find? Finally, in the scripture, scripture talks about those who followed the Lamb, those who were called, those who were chosen, and those who remain faithful. How many? That's why you have to ask yourself, I'm at a crossroads. This journey I take of where I am with these thoughts and this attitude, if I travel, where I'm going to reach in 10 years time? 10 years time, where am I going to reach? 
You have to ask, where am I going? We saw two NSTs back. It's a road less traveled. Very few travel. Their decisions are not connected with the kingdom of God. No, my decisions. Yes, my nephew is getting married. The first boy getting married. But my priority is my God and my church. And I will go at the end of the reception. By the time I reach reception, may be over. That's fine with me. Fine with me. I'm okay with it. I would prefer the pulpit to a funeral. I would prefer the pulpit to a wedding. Any day. Any day. It's changed. It's never the same again. It is not going to be the same again. Priorities are very, very clear. Very clear. Absolutely very clear. Because the only visible part of Christ's body I can see is the church. So for me it's God first and then his visible part. Nothing else. Nothing else. Even when I was in the secular realm work, it was the church that was first. It was not my college. It was the church because I knew I was there, not for the college. I was there for the church. That's the visible part of his body. Yes, Jesus is dead. And when Jesus is dead, the fearful flee. The fearful apostles all flee. But out of darkness comes out two believers. One is Joseph at Arimathea and Nicodemus comes. They take his body. They carry his body. They prepare his body. And they put the body into the tomb. There must be people who will come out of darkness into the life. Who is willing to minister to the dying body of Jesus Christ. Because the body is dying. As he tells the church. Very little is left that is alive. I sent a forward to everybody in the WhatsApp group. And you go back read. The actual story of what's happening to the dying church. Only 17 or 18 percent of Americans go to church anymore. Every month they say around six to ten thousand churches shut down in America. Churches are all empty. Chained into bars, playgrounds, movie theaters, all being sold. And in UK and Europe they're all becoming moss because the church is dying. In the Western Christian world, while in the rest of the world, the church is growing. Which part do you want to be? The dying or the growing? So it's an attitude. Kingdom of God is an attitude. It is a mindset. In Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2, if then you were raised with Christ, it's a question. If raised with Christ, then what do we do? Think, seek those things which are above. Are we seeking those things? See, God, if God had told you and me in scripture, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all his added to you. What if you wrote, instead of seek, if you wrote, find? Find the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All He didn't say. He says, I am looking into your heart whether you are seeking or not. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to find it. I'm asking you whether you are seeking it. If you are seeking it, I will keep the adding in your life. I know your heart in which direction it is. All I'm asking you, my children, are you seeking it? David says, I sought you. As the dear pandas fall, I sought you. He says, I will reveal myself to you. Not because you found me, but because you sought me. And he sees our thoughts. He sees our hearts. He sees everything. He knows who is seeking him and who is not seeking him. He's not talking about finding. 
He's talking about seeking. It's an attitude. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are earth. You tell me one thing that you will experience on earth, which will be replicated in heaven. Tell me one thing. In experiential life. You're going to go to school in heaven? You're going to go to college in heaven? You're going to work in an IT company in heaven? You're going to get married to some man in heaven? You're going to have babies in heaven? There is absolutely nothing which people hunger for here on earth which is going to be replicated in heaven. It's all temporary. There are no marriages in heaven. There are no babies in heaven. There is no IT companies in heaven. None of these things. But there is something in heaven which is called the kingdom of God. And the king seated on the throne and serving him in glory and in righteousness. God says, don't worry about these things. I will do the adding. It's about things, right? I will do the adding. You know, this man who sought God, God loved him so much when that man fell, God was hurt more than him. This boy is hurting David, not boy, man is hurting, God is hurting. And then there is an encounter between the two and Nathan says, you are the man. And he says, I am the man and all this. You know what he says? What did you want? did you want? You wanted women? Why did you take somebody's wife? You wanted women? I would have given you all Saul's concubines if you want. How many you wanted? 10, 15? You wanted things? You are a guy who sought me, right? How could you do something like this? God doesn't react with everybody the same way. He knows who's weak him. Everybody doesn't have the same capacity to hurt you. Only those who love you, you love, have the capacity to hurt you. Everybody doesn't hurt God. But those who love God and God loves have the capacity to hurt God. Saul didn't hurt God. Samuel was very hurt. God was grieved. But it was nothing like David grieving God. Understand that. God has feelings. He has emotions. He's a person. You are seeking a person. So there is a heavenly attitude. There is a heavenly mindset. And the heavenly attitude is irrational to this world. It makes no sense to this world at all. Look at Habakkuk. Familiar words again. Not Hebrews. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, there will be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Can you imagine this? Why will you rejoice when you have lost your job? Why will you thank God when you had a bad day at school or office? Why will you rejoice when everything goes wrong in your home? Why? Because we are eternity driven, not temporary. I rejoice, not rejoice, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Everything is falling apart around me, but when I look back, I know where I am going. You cannot touch that, you devil. You world, you cannot touch that. I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know where I am going. I rejoice in the God of my salvation. These things do not have effect. All these things do not have, have effect. It's very, very temporary. And therefore, these things and these people should not become the center of our affections. You love your father. 
You love your mother. You love your wife. You love your children. You love your friends. But you be in love with only Jesus. So many men and women who are in love with each other and in love with their children and when things go wrong, they are sitting there in ashes, unable to rejoice in their salvation. Because that place was only meant for God and for nobody else. You see, our mindset, there are kingdom mindsets, is like a dress code. Heaven has dress codes. It is the dress code of our soul. It's not the world and not fashion magazines. It is scripture actually that teaches you what power dressing is. People go into all these mags and spend thousands and lakhs to be dressed power dressing. Power dressing is shown in the Bible. Not on fashion street. See the rich man was dressed in purple robes outside. But he was dressed in rags inside. Lazarus was dressed in rags outside. But he had garments of salvation inside. And death revealed the actual dressing. It's a kingdom attitude. In Revelation 5.10, scripture says... We are kings. You have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign. He says, this is a future event. But you look into it by faith while you are walking in this mortal body and says, you have made me a priest. And you have made me a king to you, O Lord. You are king of kings. And I am a king under you. And I am a priest under you. Lord, teach me how to dress. Ezekiel 28 and verse 2 says, not Ezekiel, Exodus, Exodus, Exodus 28 and verse 2 says, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Say, so, Lord, I am a priest unto God. Dress me with your holiness. That's power dressing. God says, pursue holiness with God. Otherwise you will not see him. Lord, I know who I am. I know who I am. I don't care what the people say. I don't have money to afford all this branded stuff. I don't need it. But I can be dressed powerfully. Dress me with holy garments, O oh Lord. Because I'm a priest unto God. That's how you dress yourself. You pursue something because it's connected with the king and the kingdom. Dress Aaron and his sons with holy garments. Why? Because they have been set apart as priests to the Lord. In the new covenant, he says, you are a priest. So don't go for a hat. Seek holiness. We have many clowns here in Telangana, all clowns, hats, you know, self-declared bishops, all with hats, watching on Rajpada, look like clowns. And they come for my pastor's conference. You need to understand, they come for the pastor's conference. And they're all bishops, in their own eyes. Holy garments, that's what makes you a priest. No, ordination makes doesn't make you a priest. It is God who installs priesthood. And you can be dressed. And he is the king of kings. Every king deserves praise. And as a king to my king, in Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, Yeah, pursue peace, yeah. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Are you a king? What are you seeking as a priest? What are you offering as a king? That's power dressing. These are attitudes of the soul. 
that seeks little by little mindset is changing. I don't know how Habakkuk started, but we know how Habakkuk ended. He says, everything is falling apart. It doesn't matter. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. God of my salvation. Ten years, eleven years of this church. So many of you I know before that and after that. Whatever you have gone through, what is the garments you're wearing? Poor me? Sorry me? Pity me? Because God is looking at what you are seeking. And your praise will show what you are seeking. Your garments will show what you are seeking. Because these are the attitudes of the soul, of the kingdom of God. In Sardis, to the church in Sardis, he said, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Few. Their garments are fine. They are not defiled. So you shall be dressed in white, he says. While to the end time church in Laodicea, he says, you are naked. You have no clothes. You are well clothed, tux. You are wearing three-piece suit, tie also matching. But you don't know you are absolutely naked in the spiritual realm. You neither have garments of holiness, nor garments of praise. Absolutely naked. So now I am asking you to buy. Because you have gone so far into the world for you to come back. It will cost you. So buy be willing to pay the price. That's why we, we are tough on the young ones. If you start right now, it will be much easier on the way. The way you are going into the world, by the time you reach there and turn back, to come back in this present world will be so difficult. So, so difficult. So difficult. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Confessing before the church, not confessing, just making it. Yesterday, by me, I, we have different WhatsApp groups in which I have my family, which is three, two, three, three brothers and two sisters. And you know my family, only one sister believes. By mistake, because I was sending to so many different groups, the daily reading, daily reading. I sent a daily reading on my family by mistake for the first time. One hour later, a response from my eldest brother. Please don't post Bible stuff. In this group. They've become so hardened. In the western nations. Christ is an offense to them. It's an offense. Have no clue. How the world is changing. And suppose your heart is stayed. On your family and not on God. You'll end up a people pleaser. What if it's your husband? What if it's your wife? What if it's your child? Who is your idol? Isn't that what it says about Solomon? His wife turned his heart away from God. That's why God says, love everybody. Be in love with God and nobody else. Because these are attitudes of the soul. By the come, the church is naked. In Sardis, at least a few are there who have got proper garments. When it comes to Revelation, end time, last church, nobody. All are naked. So be very, very careful. What are you dressing? What are you after? So many are after. Consciously or unconsciously, they are after money because there's their security and their dignity in money. Be careful. Or some are after a name in this world. Name. Name in this world. They want a reputation. 
Be very careful about this. Very, very careful. I was telling Pastor Vijay yesterday and the men's group, uh, I think, I don't know if it's Pastor Vijay or the men's group. Balaam was after money. See, the problem I have always noticed with people who serve God yet seek money, the prosperity gospel, brings that idol in. Those who seek money yet serving God, they are split personalities. They will operate in the Holy Spirit and they will also operate in the evil spirit. Both at the same time. So Balaam will speak absolute words of God through the Holy Spirit which will become scripture. Yet he will resort to sorcery and sorcery also will work through him. Be careful. Be careful. There is nothing neutral in the spiritual realm. Absolutely nothing neutral in the spiritual realm. Mammon is a spirit. If you seek God and you seek mammon, you try to serve two masters, both will start working in your life. But ultimately mammon will pull you and take you there because that's the reason you served God. And Balaam's end is miserable. And here is Saul seeking money, seeking a name. He wanted a name and a reputation. That's what God says. When you were small, weren't you good? Now that you become big in your own eyes. Those who seek a name. You look at him. The Holy Spirit will work on him. The evil spirit will work on him. Both will work through him. It's a gift. Both working. But where does he end? He ends in the witch's chamber and his head on the Philistine wall. That's how he ends. So be careful about these things. These things are all put in scripture for our understanding. Even when you are young, ask yourself, what am I seeking? What am I seeking? How am I making my choices? Young, old, married, how am I? Because there has to be a complete shift in our attitude. Little by little, total shift. Because our eyes are on the unseen and not the seen. Our eyes should be on the eternal, not the temporary. Because the temporary will pull you down otherwise. When you are temporary, eyes on the temporary, the the unspoken question in your heart would be always, what is it there, in there for me? So it doesn't move you to do anything for the kingdom because in the kingdom, most of the things you do, there is not much profit now. He didn't say, I will give you treasures now. He says, you will lay up treasures in heaven, which you cannot see. So there is not much much in the now. But there is much in the then. So those whose eyes are on the scene, where the rewards are very fast, they will not come forward to serve God by faith. In any, any area. Because the eternal minded, the question in their heart always is, what can I do for you, Lord, today? Eternal minded. His heart was right. He was zealously persecuting the Christians, thinking the Christians were against Yahweh. But when he found that Jesus was Yahweh, his first question is, what do you want me to do today, now? What do you want me to do? That is eternal. Not what can I have now? What can I do now? Jesus said, go to the city, it will be told you. Certain things to be put right in your heart and it will be told you. Three days later was told, your destiny is this. I see your heart. So our attitude is a dress we put. And God sees our dress. He looked at Laodicea and said, you're absolutely naked. You said you have gold, silver, you got nothing, you lack nothing. You have no clue about your spiritual state. Absolutely naked in the spiritual. The demons are walking in and out of your church, out of your life all the time while I'm standing outside asking permission to come in. Absolutely bankrupt church, spiritually. 
The trafficking of demons going on. Well, God is outside. If God is outside, then who do you think is inside? Because mammon has taken over their heart. And reputation has taken over their eyes. And that's what God is talking about. Everywhere, you have to be very, very careful. Lord, my situations, teach me from your word. Let me not be like the priests at Nob, who did their duty every day, took the bread, ate. The bread never gave them life. Just their duty. Dutifully, they were doing their devotions. And one day, uh, a skunk called Dog comes there with King Saul, and he cuts down 70 of them. They are all dead at the end of their duty. But Saul could never touch David with all his army. Could never touch David because David was devoted to God. And God was devoted to one step ahead always was David. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because thou art with me. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. Two people who ate the same bread. Two different destinies. One it was devotions. The other was devoted to a person. That's what we are coming back at. Even as young children, make little steps. Little, little steps. The first thing when you wake up in the morning, first thing, Lord, thank you for life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, is there anything in my heart I need to make peace with? When I went to sleep, did I make peace with everybody, Lord? God says, yes. Put your feet on the ground. You are ready to go because you have shod your feet spiritually with the f- with peace. You are ready to go. Lord, let's start this day together. I am with you. You are with me. I am ready. Peace with God. Peace with men. No accounts. That's how you start your day. Go to school and see the difference. One thing, shut your mouth, zip your lip, talk less, unless you are able to talk according to God's word. Talk less. Scripture says even a fool is considered wise if he keeps his mouth shut. People will think you're a wise girl or a wise boy. You want to be known as the wise. Okay. Learn. Learn these things. Practice these things. Because that is how you put on your dress. According to your situation. In Esther chapter 4, 1 to 3, scripture talks about Haman's plot. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out in the midst of the city. He cried with a loud, bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. They realized they have been set up. They are going to die. Immediately everybody is wailing. Their dressing has changed. They are dressed in sackcloth. In the palace, you are not even allowed to enter through the gate in sackcloth. But the news of Mordecai sitting at the gate in sackcloth reaches Esther. And there is this communication. You know what Esther does? Verse 15 and 16. Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan, fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. So I will go to the king, which is against the law. If I perish, I perish. You have two sets of people. One outside the gate and one inside the gate. Inside the gate cannot wear sackcloth. Outside they are wearing sackcloth. But all are fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. Two sets of people. One cannot wear sackcloth. Though they are, you are grieving, you cannot wear because that's the law. Inside the king's 
coat, nobody in sackcloth. Outside are all of in sackcloth. But art, attitude, everybody is the same. Everybody is the same. They are fasting, they are praying. That's what God is asking. Are we the same? Inside? Knowing that this world is actually on a tailspin into hell? Literally on a tailspin into hell? Our attitude? You cannot go in sackcloth to your offices, but your heart is the same. You are fasting, you are praying, you are interceding. Some people can, some people don't have to. But heart attitude is the same. And then Esther 5 verse 1 says, now she has to go to the king. Scripture says, now it happened on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. She did not go in her ordinary clothes. She put on her royal robes and went to the king. Yes, you fasted. Yes, you prayed. Now it is time to go to our king. How do you go? In mourning and sackcloth? No. Knowing who he is, that power and command is in his hands. You put on your royal garments of praise and go to him and declare, oh Lord, I know you are in control of this land. Nothing moves here without your permission. I come to you in my royal robes. Not in sackcloth. Because you are my king. You are my king. That's what's called power dressing. That's the attitude of the mind. Because your mind to situations is framed by the word of God. And God has been teaching you through scripture how to react to situations. React. Because God did not bring us out of Egypt into the wilderness to kill us. To destroy us. No. He said I have brought you out to take you in. He didn't save us so that we would be beggars in heaven. He saved us so that we would be priests and kings in heaven. And therefore we learn from these. How do, how do I react? How do I react? When she goes to the king, she's rejoicing. She's going in praise. She's putting on her royal garments. How do we go to our king? But we see the opposite. Look at faces. Everybody sitting in the house of God as if they are mourning. When they go out, you have to hear their laughter and chirping. On the other hand, when you go into the world, you should be so reluctant telling God, I'm going only because you sent me. There is nothing there which touches my soul, which I like. But I'm going because I'm a faithful soldier. But when I come into your presence and your house, O oh Lord, I am excited. This is where you are. Where your people gather, I am excited, Lord. I will just sit at a corner, Lord. I don't want to lead worship. I don't want to do offertory. I don't want to preach. I just want to be a doorkeeper in your house, oh Lord. That's enough for me. That's how David was. A lot of people excited if they come here. I'm not talking about that. I will do just nothing. Just to be in your presence, in your house is enough. That's what excites me. Because I know you are there. You are there. When your people come together, there is something that is different. The corporate presence of God. He comes. Everybody brings a little bit of Jesus with them. And I enjoy your presence, Lord. I bask in it. You were there with me in the morning, but when I came to your house, I experienced you differently because everybody is bringing a little of you. It is not a potluck's lunch. It is the same lunch. The same lunch. And I, I enjoy it, Lord. That's what God is talking. Morning in the world, rejoicing in His company. Instead, it's the other way around. Rejoicing in the world, mourning in His company. God says, what's the garment you have put? 
What is the garment you have put? Why? What's the reason? Shall we go back to it again? Hebrews 11, 1. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Question is, what do you hope? What is the evidence of thing? What are you seeing, brother? Yes, brother, I am seeing this two-story building in Banjara Hills. And BMW, the latest series also, I see parked beside that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hi, Hannah, what do you hope for? I am hoping for a child so that I can show off to my co-sister-in-law. Yeah, your hope. So terrible, Hannah. I'm not going to answer your prayer. When she realizes and lifts her eyes and takes that same object but puts her hope in God, says, you give me a son, I will give the son back to you. God says, your hope has changed. What does 1 Corinthians 15, 19 say? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Honestly, the most pitiable people are prosperity preachers and hearers. Because they have their It's You see, the problem is, when God saved you, He saved you, me, you and me for Himself. And we are trying to satisfy ourselves with anything other than Him. You will be the most miserable person. You, you chase a career, you chase this world, you chase these things. If you are a true child of God, you will be miserable. You will be miserable. David had everything. No rumors, gossip, no words, nothing. Sitting nicely, doesn't even have to fight. The kingdom is in his hands. All twelve tribes have accepted his anointed, everything and all. But one thing is missing, the spirit of God is missing. And he's miserable. He's miserable. The scripture doesn't say, scripture says the Holy Spirit left Saul and evil spirit came. Scripture never say evil spirit came upon David. It's just empty. And he's got everything. Miserable. Because if only in this life you have hope, you are the most pitiable of men, women and children. To add children also to that list. That's where your attitude has to change. Your attitude is about God. And it gives you enormous joy of walking with Him and serving with Him. That's why Jesus, at 12 years old, Mama, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I was at my father's business? The mother is saying, your father and I were looking. I was at my father's business. You thought I was lost? No, Mama, I was found. I was not lost. I was at my father's business. That's where Colossians 3.12 will say, Therefore has elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, dress yourself. This is power dressing. The world will not accept this dressing. It's weakness. Put on what? Tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Who will like this? But this is how Jesus is dressed and therefore the bride is dressed. When Ruth went to glean in Boaz's field, she was a poor Moabite widow. She was dressed like a poor woman in humility, in meekness, in tenderness for a harsh, rough mother-in-law, not mother. 
quickly working, quickly working, cleaning, 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 but there are a lot of poor people. So you have to gather as much as possible. Remember what uh, Boaz's foreman says about, who is that girl, Boaz? As soon as Boaz, the first thing he sees is Ruth. Who says, who is that? He says, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And the thing he says, from the beginning till now, she's been working hard, taking only a small break for water. When God comes and looks at his children, does he see you in your classroom, in your hostels, in your workplaces like Ruth, clothed in humility, tender-hearted, working hard? Does he find you? Does he find you? Not for profit. To feed a mother-in-law. Mother I can understand. But she was looking at Christ. Naomi is a type of the law. Do this, do this, do this. She's a type of the law. What is the purpose of the law? To bring you to Christ Jesus. So what does Naomi tell Ruth later? Ruth 3. Wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down. You shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down. The law leading the church to Christ. She served Naomi, but she was serving Naomi's God in humility, in tenderness, with long suffering. You needed long suffering if you are Naomi's daughter-in-law. Long suffering, but it led to her redemption. But when it's time for redemption, she's not going in a widow's robes or her poor robes. When you're going to a redeemer, he says, go dressed in your best. Go dressed in your best. Anoint yourself and know your position. It doesn't matter. You may be at your best in your company. You may be at your best in your career. You may be at the peak of your ministry. Know your place. Lie at his feet. Know your place at his feet. Nowhere else. So there is a kingdom mindset and there is a kingdom attitude. There's a kingdom mindset and a kingdom attitude. That's what God is talking about. There is a kingdom. And kingdom people are different. They are not complaining about all the troubles in the workplace. They are always looking for opportunities to praise God through it all. I know Lord, I don't even think I am going to get a promotion in this place even if I stay for 10 years. But I shall rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. I shall rejoice. Because if you want me here and you want me to endure here, you will give me the grace for it. And at the end of it, I am losing salary, but I am gaining treasure. Losing, gaining, losing, gaining, gaining. I know my barrel will be full over there. I am not going to quit because of pressure. I will move when you tell it's time to move. I am not, I'm not constrained by pressure. I am only constrained by the kingdom of God. That's the mindset you get. You get. That's the mindset. That's how you react. In Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 15 and 17, the next one. And Nathan departed to his house. How interesting, right? 
Nathan goes to his, his how, how the construction is. Here is this man saying, I have sinned. God says, I have removed his sin. Nathan departs, God strikes. Strikes. Therefore, David pleaded with God for the child. David fasted, went in and all night on the ground. All night. Elders of his house arose, went to him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor would he eat food from them. On the ground for seven days. Sackcloth, ashes, weeping, crying, weeping, crying. Did God relent? No. Didn't relent. Child died. Verse 20 says when the child died, David arose from the ground, washed, anointed, changed his clothes. My child has died. So what do you think? Go in sackcloth to church. I am grieving for my lost child. No. I'm going to my king. In the house of God, there is no death. There is only resurrection. When I go to the house of God, I don't wear garments of grief. I wear garments of praise. Learn from these people how you handle calamities in your life. Because, like I said, God's love is like an ocean. But even oceans have boundaries. We sang about the love of God like an ocean today. But even oceans have limit. God has limited his love with his truth. He will meet our needs, our daily necessities. He will feed us, he will clothe us, he will keep us. But you want the breakthroughs in your life, you need to receive his truth in his life. He fed Israel for 40 years, clothed them for 40 years and killed them all in the desert because they refused to accept his truth and change accordingly. There's a difference between our daily necessities and the breakthroughs we want. Breakthrough is dependent upon receiving the truth. That is a different thing. Love we all experience. But we want more than that. But he will not bend his truth. He will not for anybody. Not for David, not for Solomon, not even for Jesus. He would never bend his truth. Then Jesus didn't have to die. So understand this. Are we getting it? Are we devoted? Are we just doing our devotions daily or have the attitude of a heart changed? Are we devoted to God? In Psalm 119 and verse 38, as we go for uh, communion, Scripture says, establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you, Lord. I am devoted to fearing you. So establish your word for me, Lord. Establish your word to me, Lord. I am devoted to you. I don't want to turn to the left or right from your plans for me. So establish your word. You establish your word to me because I am devoted to you. If I am not devoted to you, you cannot establish your word to me. When you are devoted to God, God is your focus. And therefore he is able to lead us. Yes, we are living in a perishable world, but we are going to an imperishable world. So this first Sunday of the 12th month, look at time as a soap bubble. For Shrikar's wedding, I saw that video. They were blowing bubbles when the bride and the bridegroom were going. How long does a bubble stand? In terms of eternity, that is the length of a man's life, a bubble. There, gone. That's all it is. But if we invest our time 
and the gift or gifts he has given during this time bubble. He says, you will reap a harvest in eternity. Harvest. But be very clear what your focus is. That's what we learned on Wednesday. Learn from history, Israel's history above all. Because they were not going to promised land to live in poverty. No. They were going to possess much. But he said you will have to fight. And the only way you have to win your battles. Father, this morning we come to you and we come to your table and we want to thank you for your son, Lord. 2,000 years ago, an event took place. Yet till today, that event is a living event. That body was broken. That blood was shed so that we could be made whole and we would have redemption. We would have forgiveness. We would have power to overcome. We just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you. I pray, Father, we as a church, your people, will receive even more of your strength and your power today to finish this race, to complete this month, this year, and that promise you gave us in the beginning of the year to come to pass in everyone's life. Give us strength, Lord and healing. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, even as we are here in the house of God, like I said in the beginning, as servants of God, we can do only what He Himself did to keep our eyes and bring the eyes of His people focused on Him and the kingdom. We may be in the world, but we are not of the world. We belong to a king and a kingdom. We are not gathering treasure here. On the other hand, by our lives and our actions, we are storing treasures in heaven. Like I said, Israel was not going into a promised land. That's an example for us, for nothing. They were promised much. Much. But they were told in the first city, in Joshua 6, verse 18 and 19, 
God said, the first city. He said, abstain from the accursed thing, lest you become accursed when you take off the accursed thing and make a camp of Israel. But all the silver and the gold, he says all the idols and all those things used for occult and religion, leave it alone. But all the gold and the silver, the vessels of bronze and iron are to be devoted or consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Okay, Even when they were moving in, starting with Abraham onwards, you will see the the first city and the treasure was their tithe before their income would actually come. He says, set it apart for God. One thing I want to tell younger and older people here, don't take that. Doesn't matter how constrained you may be. What is devoted to the Lord is devoted to the Lord. They had nothing. They were getting into battle. They win the first battle without raising a hand and they got so much. God says, don't touch it. Give it to God. Akan took from that. He and his line would be cut off. God was promising them a lot. I will just have one reference. 827. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded. Through their conquest, they had so much spoil. So they were not fighting for nothing. Nothing. They were fighting for spoil. They got so much. So we also have to realize the battles we face, theirs was the physical battles, ours is the spiritual. In the kingdom of God, the minute you realize I belong to the kingdom and I'm going to go under the king, you're going to fight spiritual battles every day. How to react with this person, that person, whether to lose the battle or win the battle, it's a battle. But there are spoils there, not here. And one of the lessons we learned, we saw that two Wednesdays back was half the crowd wasn't there on Wednesday is that when David goes because his father sent him to check on his brothers when Goliath was threatening, he went there. He sees Goliath and he, of course, we know that famous statement he makes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dared defy the armies of the living God. But after that, he asks a question, what will be given to the guy who finishes this fellow off? He was, this is not his battle. This is his brother's battle. They are the ones who are in the army, not he. He says, I'm willing to fight this battle. Kamilega. They said, the king's daughter's hand and no taxes for your father. He said, I will fight. What does it mean? It means, spiritually it means, choose your battles carefully. Don't pick battles which have no spiritual spoil. No spiritual spoil. Instead, what do people do? You know, immediately after that, another fellow wants to fight with him. Who is that? His own brother. What does scripture say? And David says, what I have done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same. He just turned away. He, did, he didn't pick up height. Your enemy is Goliath. Your enemy is not David. Pick your battles carefully. The church, instead of proudly walking around carrying Goliath's heads, are carrying each other's heads. See my spoil. Husbands are holding wives' heads. Wives are holding husbands' heads. Children are holding parents' heads. Everybody is holding somebody else's head. Except the head you should be holding. God says, if you walk in peace, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan's head under your feet. Instead, you are holding each other's head. Because you are picking the wrong battles. Fighting among each other, cheating each other, lying to each other, all kind of stuff. He said, that's the wrong battle. He walked away. 
It's not a cost. The cost is bigger. Why are you picking a fight with me? He walked away. Learn to walk away from battles which have no spoil. Spiritually, we are called to fight. We are called to fight. If your focus is on God, He will choose you. He will guide you to the right battle where there is spiritual spoil. Not only that, you will have the power to overcome. Paul picked the right battles. He walked away from all the other battles. Picked the right battles. So he's able to see, I see now, after the end of a good fight of so many years, I see my spoil. I see the crown of righteousness. He picked. We have a crown of righteousness. But it depends upon the battles you fight. In Hebrews 12 and verse 4, scripture says, this is the battle everybody should fight. What is this? You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. You should be fighting sin because there is a great reward for those who overcome sin. You've been given power. You've been given focus. This is what should be fighting. This is the battle we are called to fight every day. This is the battle. Pick your battle carefully. This is a kingdom attitude. I am not for sin. I am against sin. Scripture says, not just against sin. Why am I against sin? Because I love righteousness. Scripture says, Jesus loved righteousness, hated evil. Therefore, God anointed him with the oil of gladness more than his companions. That is the battle you pick. For and against. That's the battle as young people, as older people you pick. That's a battle. Because there is spoil in it. In Ephesians 6 and verse 12, Scripture says, For we do not, say do not, not. we do not wrestle against people, flesh and blood. We have issues, we discuss issues, either agree, disagree, but we do not wrestle with them. Husbands, (laughs) Shrikant, newly wedded, don't wrestle with Sopna, okay? Her Sopna days are over, now she has come to reality. Dream is over, now your dream is fulfilled, no Sopna? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, don't stop there. Okay, I am not fighting anybody. But God says, are you fighting? But against principalities, against powers, against dark. He says, you cannot say, I am not involved in this fight, but I will not fight this battle too. You cannot. You need to have both. You need to stop fighting the wrong battles and start fighting the right battles. Because if you don't fight, you have already lost. Because there are no passive Christians in eternity. Laodicea is lukewarm and they have already lost and they don't even realize they have lost. There is no passive Christians. Passive Christians will be spoiled by the devil. Understand? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principles, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And the next one which I gave you, Ephesians 6.13. Put on the full, full arm. I want to look at that carefully. Can I have it or is it gone? Thou shalt not rely on technology. Okay. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now look, look at it, read it carefully, okay? The whole armor of God, okay, in the little time, you are not in a hurry, I am in a hurry to catch my flight, but I am not finishing before time, okay. The spiritual armor is not to prevent the evil day. 
Understand that. Just because you put on your spiritual armor, the evil day, or in like in Joseph or David's case, evil days will not pass away. The spiritual armor, it's not to help you thinking that I have my armor, the evil day will pass away. No. The purpose of the spiritual armor is when the evil day is over, you have not become an evil person. Understand that. By the time the evil day was over, Saul was an evil man. And he died the death of an evil man. But by the time the evil day was over, David was even more a righteous man. Understand the purpose. The armor doesn't take the evil day away. The armor protects you and me. If you are becoming more and more evil, that means you are not withstanding the evil day. You are becoming more angry, more nasty, more unclean words from your lips, more, more after 11 months. You are not withstanding the evil day. You are turning into an evil person. The purpose of the evil day is to make you evil. Understand that. It is not the evil day will pass away because you saw the armor. The armor was not given to stop the enemy from attacking you. No. It is to protect you and me from becoming like him when he attacks us. You and I can either wear the helmet of God's salvation or we can end up wearing the helmet of God's accusation and a devil's helmet of accusation and condemnation. You can choose. These are all spiritual attitudes. You will know who you are when you look at yourself in the light of God's word. See that the breastplate of righteousness is in place. That is integrity. Because it will protect you in the day of evil. That protects you on the day of evil because you have not become like him. Your integrity is protecting you. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, it protects you from the living God. Because there is only one God and that's the living God. Look at a real life example in the Bible in the book of Genesis. This is Abraham going into Gerar after the promise has been given. He again tells Sarah, tell that you are my sister. Abimelech, the king's men take. And Abimelech had not come to her. You know what? In the dream, the Lord comes and says, if you touch that woman, you are as good as a dead man. And Abimelech speaks to him and says, he had not come near her and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And the Lord said to him in a dream, yes, I know. You did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. This is an unbeliever who had a breastplate of righteousness. And God said, I stayed your hand and looked at your integrity and I did not let you sin. He did not stop Samson. He did not stop David. Because if you know what is right and you don't do what is right, he's not going to stay your hand. But he stayed the hand of an unbeliever because he walked in the integrity of his heart. He said, I see your heart, I will not let you sin against me. Understand this. A lot of people, Christians struggle saying, if God knew, he would have stopped me. God says, I'm not going to stop you. 
You know exactly what is right and wrong. And you want to choose that way, that's your choice. He never stopped Samson. He did not stop David. But he stopped Abimelech because he knew in the integrity of his heart he had done this. He thought this woman was... Actually, Abraham got it wrong. If Abraham said, this is my wife, that man would have never taken her. Sometimes we misunderstand unbelievers. They have more integrity than believers. So understand, when you're putting on the breastplate of righteousness, it is protecting you on the day of evil from becoming evil. Understand what the armor is doing. Because people are all thinking this is this bad. No, it is not. It is to stop us from becoming like the devil. Becoming like the devil. Because battles are not fought here. Battles are fought there. Won there. In Ephesians 6, 12, scripture says, no, in the heavenly places. That's where the battle is fought. You may be sitting on planet earth, but you're fighting the battle at a different level, at a different realm. You're fighting it there in prayer, in your mindset, in your word. The question is, are we fighting those battles? These battles have spoils. Great spoil. The belt of truth is exactly the level of freedom you have in the spiritual realm in your walking with God. Don't make it too tight. If you make it too tight, you suffocate yourself. Don't make it too loose. You will compromise. It's the freedom with which you walk with God and therefore it gives you the freedom to make choices in the Bible, in the world, according to the word of God. That's the belt of truth. If you cover up, you kept your reputation. But in the spiritual realm, you have lost your advantage to fight. Saul covered up, but he lost in the spiritual realm. For 37 years, he sat on the throne and people had no clue is losing battle after battle after battle. By the time an end of 40 years, you look at him, he looks exactly what he is, a son of Belial, son of the devil. He's sitting on the throne, but he has become exactly like the devil at the end because the battle is fought there, not here. Understand, people may sit there in chairs looking very, very prosperous, but if you are losing your battle because you made your compromises, you made your adjustments, because you wanted to sell your face, you will end up exactly like the accuser. On the other hand, scripture says, if you confess, in 1 John 1, 9, scripture says, if we confess, he is faithful, and just to forgive our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he says, you're back in the game. You're back in the game. Don't let him keep him down. Don't tell him, don't confess you, lose your name. He says, it doesn't matter. Lose your name, win the battle. Or keep your name and lose the battle. It's your choice. That's why I was happy with today's prayer request. Some people have called their personal sins by name. You will be free if you step out in faith. Because when Goliath died, the evil day ended for Israel. After that, Philistines will only face defeat. But Saul became evil. Evil day ended for Israel, but the king became evil. Now the devil did not need Philistines to harass Israel. He had his man in the camp. Saul will bring destruction to Israel for the next so many years because he has become a man of evil. Understand how it works. If 
The purpose of the armor is to see that I don't become evil. Because if I become evil, I become the devil's man in the camp. Don't be that. So understand how the kingdom of God works. That's why God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Know the mindset. Know the attitude. And fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Walk in freedom. Walk in. Don't make it too. Don't make it too. Lose. This is the belt of truth. You know something interesting about truth? Whenever God talks to us about truth, he doesn't give truth alone. He says we cannot handle truth. So he says truth and grace. Truth and love. Truth and mercy. He attaches something to it. Because he says if he gives truth to us alone, we will all become murderers. So he attaches something to it. Jesus can stand alone on truth, but you and I cannot. We need grace and truth. We need mercy and truth. We need love and truth. That's how you put on the belt of truth. Like I said, first thing when you wake up, put on your shoes. These are all kingdom attitudes, kingdom mindset. David picked his battles carefully. Paul picked up his battles carefully. And therefore his whole life was given to the cause of God. So the title of today's message is Giving While Living. Don't forget you are at your father's business. The last verse for today, Revelation 22 verse 12 and we shall pray. What does it say? Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to to his work. Shall we stand? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you, Father, once again for the 11 months of your faithfulness. I thank you for your people. I thank you for all the children. Thank you for all the new babies you added this year, Lord. Thank you for everyone, Lord. Every, every, everything that you did through us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. By faith, I plead the blood of Jesus over your people. The blood that cleanses, the blood that brings forgiveness, the blood that speaks on our behalf, the blood that gives victory. And I pray, Father, you put a hedge around your people. They're going out and in their coming in, in their offices, in their homes, in their workplace, in their traveling, through it all. You'll guard their eyes, you'll guard their ears, and you will guard their mind. I pray, Lord, our minds will be constantly be renewed according to your word, according to your kingdom, that we will not be conformed to the pattern of the world because the world and its rulers call out for conformity, but we will not, Lord, conform to the world. We will conform to our king and to the kingdom, Lord. I bless your people in your name. May the hand of the living God rest upon them. May the blessings of God pursue them and overtake them all the days of this month, Lord. Give them purpose, Lord. Let give them focus, Lord. Let them have the ability to hear from you, Lord. And above all, Lord, help us to clothe ourselves with the kingdom attitude, Lord. With mercy, with kindness, with tenderness, Lord. With praise, with adoration that we will be called a people of worship. Truly of the tribe of the heavenly tribe of Judah. People who praise God always. 
Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. By faith, we now lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.